Welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast, where Sean Ellis interviews leaders from the world's fastest growing companies to get to the heart of what's really driving their growth. And now, here's your host, Sean Ellis. All right, in this episode of the Breakout Growth Podcast, I interview Shwetab Mittal, the Senior Director of Product Management at Coursera. So Coursera was founded in 2012 by two Stanford professors, and since that time, they've reached unicorn status, and they've helped to educate over 65 million learners. It's a really fascinating conversation. We dig into what makes their learning platform unique and what are the keys to their growth. It's both a B2B and a B2C story. On the B2B side, Coursera powers corporate learning, but it also powers distance learning for universities. So not surprising, that's a really important space with COVID and all of the disruptions to university students around the world. So uh, Shwetab talks about there's 1.6 billion students around the world, and uh, Coursera is really playing a role in trying to help bridge the gap so they can continue their education. I personally have been passionate about the online education space for a long time. I've worked with a couple of VC-backed startups in the space. And in fact, yesterday I announced the launch of a new growth simulator called gopractice.io that I built with a uh, former Facebook data scientist, Oleg Yakubinkov. So you're probably wondering what the heck is a growth simulator. Um, probably the best way to think of it is how pilots learn to fly via a flight simulator. This is a simulation for learning how to grow a business, it's particularly a VC-backed startup. So the simulation takes place. You get hired into a VC-backed startup. You're running data queries in Amplitude. You're making decisions around those queries. And over time, you get promoted to where you get more and more responsibility, have to deal with challenging colleagues. And then we've got built-in mentorship throughout the program to help you understand where you make mistakes and, and learn from those mistakes and just get better at data-driven product growth. So you can check it out at gopractice.io. But for now, let's jump into my interview with Coursera's Senior Director of Product Management, Shwetab Mittal. Hi, Shwetab. Welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Hi, Sean. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm very excited to, to have you on and, and learn more about Coursera. So before we really dig into how you're growing, can you give us a little bit of background on, on what Coursera is and maybe how it's different from other online learning platforms? Absolutely. So the company it was founded in uh, 2012 by two Stanford professors, Andrew Ng and Daphne Kohler. Uh, they put a few courses online and saw an overwhelming interest from students across the world to take these courses. And so the rest is history. A lot of uh, universities joined and the platform became bigger. And what really started as a, a B2C business uh, has over the years really turned into a much bigger platform. Today, we look at Coursera as a three-sided platform. On one side, we have our educator partners who are the top 165 universities in the world and in addition, we also have 40 industry partners that author courses on our platform. So the likes of Google, IBM, and Amazon Web Services, to name a few. And they offer courses uh, to train an ecosystem of developers to develop on their platform. And so together, our university and industry partners have created uh, about 4,000 courses on Coursera 
which has really attracted you know more than 65 million learners on our platform from all around the world and about 80% yeah and about 80% of the learners who registered on, on coursera are actually outside of the united states and the top 5 countries that are represented on uh, on coursera as as a count of learners are united states followed by india china mexico and brazil oh wow so yeah so that's the second sort of node of our three-sided platform uh, three-sided platform and the the third uh, node of uh, our platform really is the the employers so we started uh, a b2b business uh, a few years back and i can talk more about it later uh, during the the talk but um, that's the third part where we have more than 2500 employers who uh, who engage with coursera to upskill reskill their employees as you know skills are changing they need to you know change their employee skills to continue mm-hmm. to thrive in a very uh, competitive environment so is it is it mostly their own are they creating the courses that they're providing for their employees or are they they're curating them from what you have they are essentially using uh, our courses on our platform that have been created by our uh, university and industry partners to upskill their employees okay got it and then how and, do you uh, go ahead No I was just going to say and then uh, another thing that we have is actually fully online degrees on our platform we now have you know 19 fully online degrees on our platform coming from top universities around the globe University of Pennsylvania University of Michigan University of London to name a few and wow. they they offer it on Coursera but we are really the platform on, uh, that you know really helps them run the the degree but essentially everything comes from the university right from the professors all the all the education and the actual degree is all uh, provided by the university uh, themselves and then how open is the platform can can anyone offer a course on it or do you go through an approval process how does how does that side work yeah a uh, great question so our platform is what we consider as like a highly curated uh, platform where um our Uh, industry partners or university partners have to go through uh, an approval process of you know that that we want to add them to our platform and then once that happens uh, then they can publish courses in our public catalog for anyone in the world to come and you know take mm-hmm. and then is it is it all video courses or is it a hybrid of video and and uh, text or how what's what sort of the the learning process right so I think we're really proud of the pedagogy that we've created for online learning over the years and very early on we realized that just having videos which are you know 45 minutes 1 hour videos are actually not very engaging because just you remember in your class when a professor is talking after some time you tend to kind of doze off right <laughs> yeah. and so it has happened to best of us sitting sometimes even in the first row Yeah. Um so what we've done is we've actually you know created uh, a a different pedagogy where you know you generally would have like videos that are 7 to 8 minutes long and within the videos you would have an in video quiz that will mm-hmm. check on the concepts that you're learning during the video so keeps you engaged and generally then we divide up a, a course into modules and lessons and each lesson would generally have a small quiz at the very end of it. Okay. And so as you continue to make progress throughout a larger course you are continuing to learn that knowledge and test it as you build mm-hmm. along towards the finishing the course. 
Very cool. So you're, you're, it's it's much more engaging. It sounds like so you don't have the uh, doze off that uh, yeah. I, I was very guilty of. <laughs> yeah, definitely very engaging, very meaningful, and uh, we've seen that this this pedagogy actually increases retention in the students as they learn along, mm-hmm. uh, rather than doing sort of a big test at the very end. You are learning in chunks, and you're continuing to you know test your knowledge on it. So that keeps mm-hmm. you keeps it like fresh in your mind. And is it all a- asynchronous, or or do you have any synchronous stuff as well? Yeah, so we so for our public MOOCs um, uh, that are available to you know anyone who can who who comes, they are all asynchronous courses um, that you can take at any point. We do have uh, synchronous uh, teaching uh, 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 methodologies for students who are in our higher engagement. Uh, uh, products so so degrees have synchronous pieces where you know faculty or uh, TAs are actually you know directly interacting with students maybe for office hours or for question hours or meeting with the professor and so on and so forth interesting so you you probably never assumed that zoom would be a competitor and then suddenly in that kind of space it it it, it, it bleeds in a little bit obviously obviously not it's it's not purpose built for education like you guys are doing but it's clearly uh gone into the synchronous education space as I sit next door to my daughter who's at UC Berkeley and hear her lectures being uh, streamed all the time next door. Right. And actually, I'm glad you asked it. Actually, we uh, use Zoom as an integrated part of our platform to actually, um, you know, deliver that uh, synchronous functionality. Oh, okay. There you go. Right. So yeah. more of a, more of a uh, cooperative uh, partner than, than a competitor in that case then. Um, Correct. So how do you guys actually make money? So mul- multiple ways, right? Like, so on the consumer side, uh, individuals who want to come and watch a lecture can watch it for free. Uh, we provide, still provide free education to everyone. But if you want a certificate to represent the learning on Coursera or to put it on LinkedIn or show it to a prospective employer, uh, you, you pay about $49 uh, for that certificate. Or for a series of certificate, uh, series of courses that we call as specialization, you can pay about $49 a month to finish that specialization and then get a certificate for it. So that's wow. on the consumer side. Yeah. Um, uh, and then on the degree side, as I mentioned, you have 19 fully online degrees and you know they have tuition ranging from $20,000 up, but very affordable compared to you know going to a campus, learning there and you know the opportunity cost and so on and so forth. So that becomes the second part. And the third big one is our B2B side, where we are working with businesses, governments, uh, universities, and teams around the globe, where it's a per user license. Uh, okay. And yes. Okay. And then, um, so you have been there since 2016. Um, what uh, What's growth look like during that time? So that, for example, how many employees were, were in the company when you joined and, and approximately how many today? Uh, yeah, uh, very interesting. Uh, uh, you know, roller coaster ride. Uh, it, the number of employees, I think, were less than 200. I'm, it may have been around 150 when I joined in 2016. And we had just one office here in Mountain View. And now we have more than 500 employees. Um, and our offices are in Mountain View, Toronto, London, Bulgaria, Abu Dhabi, and New Delhi. Wow. Wow, so it's it's definitely uh, definitely a very different company than the than the day you went in, at least in terms of um, at least in terms of scope of people who are attacking the uh, 
the the learning challenges that are out there. What attracted you to the role um, in the first place? Right. So, uh, so I've always, I mean, all of my career has been in tech. So I've, I was an engineer at Google, and then I went to business school, and then you know did a series of role in corporate strategy and corporate development at you know several large companies. And my last role before Coursera was at LinkedIn, where I was doing you know biz ops and also uh, product management, um, and that's when LinkedIn actually was acquiring lynda.com. Mm-hmm. And so the buzz around education technology was, you know, really hot. And I was thinking, you know, that that's a good place to be. Uh, it's an up and coming place. That industry hasn't been disrupted in a very long time. And it's about time that Silicon Valley, you know, starts to do things in their way. Uh, and so that's, you know, just when someone from Coursera reached out, if I would like to join a growing team and, the rest is history. That's great. That's great. And um, what? Uh, so, so tell me then about the role that you're in, and has it has it changed since you've been there? Uh, it has. So, I initially was brought on uh, in Coursera to actually lead corporate strategy and corporate development, and I did that for about a year and a half before going back to my roots uh, in product management and product development. Mm-hmm. And so today I lead uh, product management and development for all of our B2B products, which is, as I mentioned earlier, of course, are for business, of course, are for government, of course, are for universe, uh, campus and of course, are for mm-hmm. teams. Um, and uh, and so the the business has been you know rapidly changing on the B2B side. So four years ago, we added the, the B2B channels initially for companies that wanted to upskill their employees primarily in the domains of data science, computer science, and business. And then a year later, we launched Coursera for government, which is where uh, governments across the globe are actually using us to upskill their population to make sure that they are ready for the rapid change in skills that is you know, happening these days so quickly. And then last year is when we launched uh, the, the product Coursera for campus. And now when we look back at it, it feels that it was great timing. We obviously yeah. didn't know at that time. Right. Um, exactly. And so we launched that to, to you know, sort of provide universities, any universities around the globe, not just our, our, our 165 university partners, to get access to online material to teach their students for things, uh, for topics for which maybe they cannot find faculty or uh, topics that have been growing pretty rapidly and they cannot scale uh, on campus experience so easily. And so for all those reasons, we launched that then. And then, you know, this year it has become sort of a very, very, very big thing for us. Yeah, absolutely. Now I can, uh, you know, for for better or worse, there's obviously there's obviously a lot of suffering that's, that's happened with, with COVID, but there's certainly some businesses that um, have... Yeah, ultimately, you know, the, the, the kind of product market fit where, where something was a nice to have suddenly becomes a must have. And, and um, so there's definitely some businesses that in the, in the short term, at least will benefit. And hopefully, hopefully longer term, we'll get some changes in the overall way that, uh, that people work. So there's less commuting and, you know, and, and people can do things in, in a way that's, that's better. And so learning is definitely one of those things that, uh, that, that, that can benefit when you've got a good remote platform, and it sounds like uh, sounds like that timing was perfect on 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 the universities. So, what what else in terms of the um, kind of COVID nineteen crisis? Ha, ha, how has that affected the business in other ways? Yeah, um, 
as you were rightly hinting, right, universities uh, and students around the globe have really been deeply impacted due the due to the impact that you know uh, COVID has on campuses and how they've been shut down. And then in 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 late March or early March, UNESCO actually disclosed some striking numbers. And according to their data, 1.6 billion students across the globe had been impacted have been impacted by COVID nineteen and. Wow. And as those campuses closures were happening, we just saw the number of learners coming to our our platform increase multifold. Mm-hmm. So just to give you an example, just enrollments from new learners were twelve times from the same time last year, and wow. we saw registrations sort of like grow pretty rapidly. Enrollments from existing learners grow pretty rapidly. Just think about it: students, the full time job of a student is actually to learn. And if they don't have access to those opportunities, they're going to find other places where they would go and learn. And so that's right. what was happening. And so as we sort of like stepped back as, as a company, and I, I give a lot of uh, sort of kudos to uh, our leadership team here at Coursera, uh, that we looked back and said, we, 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 we're going to do something and try to see where, where we can help. And on March 12th, uh, we launched a, a coronavirus response initiative, which basically allows at no cost, any university in the world to use our Coursera for Campus product through uh, September. Wow. It's a, it's a lighter version of the paid Coursera for Campus product. And, and we are glad that we were able to help. And we've seen more than 6,000 universities sign up for this. And the students have been learning uh, amazingly. Mm-hmm. It turned out to be a fairly useful way to help uh, an impacted universities to be able right. to provide online material mm-hmm. uh, versus having to create it themselves because, you know, online teaching is still fairly new to a lot of faculty and it's not as if you can click a button and they could start teaching online the next day. It takes exactly. a lot even, of time. Even the procurement process for universities takes so long in a crisis, obviously they're going to try to go faster to, to be able to keep going. But yeah. the fact that you could offer for free for six months lets them continue with the learning while they figure out, you know, is this right for us and how do we buy it and all of those things. So that seems like a really uh, a good way to make a fast impact uh, how you guys approach that. Correct. And we, we went through sort of our internal growth pains, right? What we had, I think about before that time, we had about maybe 50 Coursera for Campus uh, instances that had been launched. And mm-hmm. then suddenly overnight, we were seeing hundreds of hundreds and thousands of requests. Mm-hmm. And so what used to be like a 60 to 90 day launch process before COVID hit, um, we had to automate the whole thing to make it fully self-serve that any college or university could register and then gain access to the offering almost instantaneously. And so wow. the big shift we had to make internally about how to get them to sign all the TNCs, how to make sure that they can find their students, how to figure out like where to put in the domain. And so all of that was, was fairly interesting. And we had, you know, some like long uh, working days to make it happen. But I, mm-hmm. I feel, I feel very satisfied that we were in a position where we could help and we are helping, you know, hundreds of thousands of students across the globe. That's, that's fantastic. And so I, I think it's actually a, a good kind of transition point to, to think through, like in your role, obviously what you just described is, is massive impact on growth, impact on the problem, uh, progress on the mission of the business. Um, but in your role, are you 
are you thinking in terms of growth in your role or are you thinking more in terms of, uh, you know, what are the market needs and how, how do we fulfill those needs at a, at a faster pace? And so they're kind of the same thing, but, you know, two sides of the same coin. But I'm, I'm curious um, how much you specifically think about growth versus versus think about, you know, product and market need. So, so there are multiple aspects. I think as sort of a, a PM in a being in a product leadership uh, role, I think we're all thinking about growth all the time. Like we're thinking about how to grow the value of the, how to grow the value that we're delivering to our customers. How do we grow the value that we're delivering to our learners? How do we grow just Coursera overall within the online education space? So we're constantly thinking about it. I think the tactics and the actions change depending on the problem that you're solving. So for example, if it's a, a more typical like you know Silicon Valley sort of like growth uh, coin coinage term, which is you're looking at acquisition and you're looking at growth loops, that becomes a different way of kind of thinking about it versus when we're thinking about like how to grow our value delivered to our customers, then you're thinking more around product market fit and the things that we're launching and the value that it's delivering. So it's all part of that 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 mix that you know you wear different hats uh, for different parts of growth. Right, right. And obviously, like, you know, whether whether you're thinking in terms of loops and tactics um, or you're thinking in terms of product market fit and, and, and getting just the right product and accelerating value delivery, ideally, the outcome is going to be the same so that it's it's, you know, we, we want to attract and retain many more satisfied customers and 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 provide lots of value to those customers. And uh, I it's interesting that you how you describe that. I actually think that companies don't probably think enough about the product market fit side. I mean, if I, if I were to estimate based on all of my um, conversations so far on this podcast of talking with fast growing companies, probably 70% of their growth, you know, something around 70%, maybe between 60 and 80% of their growth is probably a function of product market fit, even more than, than sort of day-to-day execution of tactics. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Growth teams put almost all of their effort into the into the tactical side. Um, so uh, it's, I, it's so it's really refreshing that you talk about um, you know product market fit as really being an engine of growth. So, I, but I'm curious when you when you look at the big picture of what's driven your growth, what what are the other factors that have driven that growth? Yeah, I, I think um, if I if I look at this and kind of stepping back, I think the first and foremost is 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 our partners, education partners, who truly believe in democrat democratization of education and providing universal access to education like they believe in it so they come on our platform and you know teach this valuable set of courses that are available to the, the learners across the globe i think obviously the close second to that is uh, is our obsession about creating learner value and learner outcomes right affordable online learning can really change a learner's access to opportunities and change their their just overall sort of life opportunities and living style, right? So, so we keep a very close tab on how our learning and credentials are making an impact on their career opportunities and quality of life. And then the third one is comes to is like that we're, when we are performing in this and we have this uh, duty to our, our partners and our learners, we've really developed a, a learning platform that makes it easier to learn online, that makes it engaging to learn online. I mean, learning is hard by the very virtue of that you're forcing your brain to learn new concepts, right? So 
uh, creating a pedagogy, making it uh, that that that's great for online learning, uh, for making it accessible on all devices, uh, making sure that we provide like things like nudges to our learners to make sure they they get to their learning objectives or syncing deadlines. That just make things easier when you're in that environment. That's where we you know focus a lot of our time. And most most recently, uh, when we talk about B two B skills, has been sort of the big big place where we put we've been putting a lot of our energy because ultimately for any employer or for any company that's thinking about being competitive in a in a in an environment they're really thinking my employees need these kind of skills if they had these skills then i'll be able to thrive in that environment and of course nobody wants to like you know fire half of their workforce and just hire all of them new they would rather right. upskill all of them right because they have these loyal employees and why wouldn't they invest in them and so that's been like the new big piece where we've been driving uh, with a lot of our customers. Yeah, and so is that is that usually driven from like a, a, an education initiative inside the companies or sort of who's who's the champion inside the company who's pushing for that education and how do how do you connect with them and there's obviously a ton of choices that they have in terms of ways to educate their employees how how do you connect with them and and, and have them focus on Coursera as as a um, effective way to to up up level those skills. Right, that that's a great question. I think generally what we've been seeing is that this is now becoming a CEO agenda to think about the skills of the future and how well placed a company is in terms of where the the market and the skills are going for the next, you know, 3, 5, 10 years. So, where I think we see a varied sort of set of uh, champions within a company uh, traditionally, it has been like, you know, head of HR who's thinking about it or uh, head of learning and development. But we also very often see, you know, head of business units that are thinking about, hey, I need my engineers to learn machine learning. Otherwise, we won't be able to deliver the right products in the next five years. So, if, so that often also happens. So we generally see a mix. But where we are the most successful with our customers really is when this is an executive level agenda. And that's when we have sort of, uh, you know, the right um, engagement with them. We have the right plan with them. And that's where we see, you know, the, the customer, their employees be the most successful on our platform. Mm-hmm. And so like a lot of times they, I, I've seen that larger companies will have even like education allowance for the for the employees. Is it something that you become a choice there or do you become something that that, that ultimately it's this is how we do our education and this is where you can apply the, um, you know, that, that this is this is what we're recommending, how you apply any kind of education allowance you have. Right. So the, the, there are, I think to, to your point about education, uh, education uh, allowance. So what happens is if that's what, how the company wants to sort of like run their education um, system, then employees can just use that allowance and take courses directly through our consumer platform. But where it becomes more of a strategic agenda for engaging with uh, on our on our B2B side is when we engage with them to talk about where their skills should be going over the next, you know, three to five years. Like what's that skills transformation journey they want to sort of like go on and take their employees with them to learn all those skills. And that's when we go into this cycle of like planning and developing those skills and ultimately hiring those skills hiring those employees into the right jobs at the, as the job landscape within the company changes, right? So uh, a, a person that is maybe an analyst today, but 
is going to be more of a data data scientist or a data analyst in the company in like two to three years how can they gain those skills over the next one to two years and then go into that job rather than having to search outside and that becomes a very sort of pivotal moment for the company to think about the journey with Coursera. Yeah. No, okay. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what about the challenges? I mean, like, like clearly in the, in the four years you've been there, like gro- growth is not always linear. There's, there's challenges you have along the way. Is there any that, that jump out to you as specific challenges that you've had to overcome and how you've overcome those during the, during those years? Yeah. I mean, we've had our fair share of growth challenges and, Every time we've been in sort of a challenging situation, there have been a key set of insights that have helped us get over those challenges and come out even stronger out when coming on the other side of the challenges. And these insights have usually come back come by by taking a step back from the day-to-day grind and looking at the big picture of delivering value to our learners and our customers. And so an example of this on the consumer side is um, that you know, when we were thinking about growing our B2C business faster, one of the big shifts that has happened over the last you know, decade or decade and a half or so is um, the world of infrastructure, IT infrastructure has been moving towards public cloud versus private cloud. So uh, what, what that needs is you know, more and more learners need to learn the skills of how to operate um, a public, on a public cloud like an Amazon or a Google cloud uh, versus what was a single tenant private cloud for the company. And so as we saw that inside, we started working more and more with, with the cloud providers like Google and Amazon Web Services and, and IBM. And that has led to a significant growth in our consumer and enterprise business. So that's one example of it. Another one is uh, our enterprise business is fairly you know, young. We started about four years ago. And so as we were thinking like how to increase awareness we actually again stepped back and thought about what is that? What is it that uh, an L and D manager or a CHRO in a company would find valuable? So we created this report using this data that's generated of our 65 million learners that we call as Global Skills Index. And using this report, uh, 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 someone can really understand what's happening in their industry verticals, what's happening in their country, and really think long and hard about where does their talent management team need to go and how do they need to develop their talent and that created a lot of awareness that created a lot of high quality conversations with with you know senior members of prospects and customers and that allowed us to sort of grow the business rapidly wow i love that it really reminds me of like uh of the hubspot website greater approach are you, are you familiar with that i have i've seen that yes yeah, just the just the idea that like um you know the more that you can shine the light on what the problem is so it's kind of the 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 index that you're talking about, sort of where where the team stands on learning and where they need to be, the the you know more more contextually relevant the solution is going to be, and probably the okay. more receptive the customer is going to be to the solution. Okay. So that that makes a lot of sense. Another thing that jumped out that of what you were talking about is that, you know people who are very mission driven, companies that are very mission driven, seem to be able to navigate crises better because it, it, as you said, you keep coming back to you know where where. Where are our opportunities to deliver value to the learners, and that can help you navigate through short-term challenges um, when you when you keep coming back to what what is it that we're trying to do for the customer? Very well said. Very well said. I couldn't I couldn't put it any better. <laughs> so what, you were going to comment something on the uh, on, on kind of the website grader yeah. uh, comparison example that I brought up. 
Yeah, I was, I was actually going to say that you you uh, were highlighting a very specific point, which is when light is shown on a problem, that's when you start to figure out the solutions. And I think I like to think of product managers as problem managers. And if they can actually find the right problem to solve, I think solutions can be varied. But finding the right problem to solve is actually the product manager's job. And if they can actually do that well to say out of the 100 things that we can put our time in, if I find this top three things that I can solve for our customer and these are their top problems, the rest will be history for any business. Yeah. And it's and it's so tempting to just, you know, to be so kind of solutions oriented there and and to uh, to, to to be more customer oriented and understand where the problems are. Your the likelihood that you're going to nail it on the solution side is is so much better. So um, yeah, it's it's uh, that's always been sort of a, a weakness for me personally is the the product side because I came up through marketing. But I think anyone who's who who's good in growth today is pretty strong in product marketing data. You need you need that sort of uh, cross discipline knowledge to 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 kind of think about how all of that works together to Agreed. to accelerate on the mission of the business. Agreed. And I have I had that bias. I mean, I also I came up through engineering initially, so I'm always into the solution. Let's let's make it, and we'll yeah, figure yeah. it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, there's so many times I look back in my career that I think, gosh, I wish I spent more time on the problem. I probably would have been uh, better at coming up with a solution that actually nailed the problem versus uh, just just jumping right into that uh, solving mode, which. Uh, which which gets people in trouble on personal levels too, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, like listening to a spouse about problems instead of saying, "Oh, let me solve your problems before I've even learned and understood them." So I, I still get into hot water there. Yeah, I think a lot of people do. <laughs> so so help me understand a little bit more on the on the organization. So um, you know we've we've talked about growth and how how product market fit and dialing that in helps a lot to accelerate growth. But who, who else in the organization is, is thinking about growth? What, what, how, how do the various teams work together to, to try to accelerate progress on the Coursera mission? Absolutely. So let me just talk about maybe like how first product is organized and then maybe like the everyone else sure. is organized yeah, in parallel. Great. So on the product side, we essentially have uh, five uh, key groups. Uh, and the three, there are three within that that are related to our customer segments. So there is a team that's focused on enterprise. There's a team that's focused on consumer. There's a team that focuses on degrees. And I think that's what that those are the teams that are responsible for keeping closest to our customers to understand the the product we want to develop, uh, develop the problems that we're trying to solve through those products, and when do we want to deliver them, and what value will it provide to our customers? Right. So that keeps us close. And then we have an overarching growth team uh, that kind of spans across these three product lines. Uh, um, and they look at things like traffic, top of the funnel acquisition, registrations, and so on and so forth, which becomes essentially the the way people find Coursera.org and then the way the traffic gets segmented into different parts of what they are interested in or when they come to Coursera.org. So then there is a person within that team that's focused on registrations, someone that focuses on uh, enterprises, and someone that focuses on degree registrations and so on and so forth. And then the fifth team within product is more around platform. So these are the common components that we want to deliver across these businesses so that we can get a lot more leverage within our product teams versus everyone developing the same things three times over. 
And then I would say the the closest partner in crime for for this uh, with product is on one end is is marketing, and so marketing is fairly well aligned to the three business lines and related growth, uh, so that there is a clear sort of organizational line of sight for ownership and accountability to deliver on growth metrics uh, through a collaborative effort. And on the other end, for the B2B side, there is obviously the sales team and the customer success team and the implementation team that works very closely with, with the B2B product to make sure that we are, we, are, we are staying close to the customer and doing the right things for the customers to make them successful. Mm-hmm. And so what, what does the, the actual marketing team focus on then? Are they mostly around kind of brand building or are they... ROI driven for customer acquisition or a you know, combination of both? What What is sort of where, the, where are the lines there a little bit? Yeah, I think I think all three, uh, as you mentioned, right? So we've been, we've been fairly uh, uh, blessed that, you know, education is top of mind for everyone. So our, uh, uh, you know, PR team has, has done wonders for us in terms of just growing overall awareness of the things that we're doing. And that has, you know, given us a lot of sort of good awareness uh, and brand building across the globe. And then there are then individual uh, product teams that are working with the growth team to make sure that we're running like growth experiments to understand what copy works well and, you know, what kind of intent people are coming with. And we understand the personas well. So we run the experiments to optimize that experience pretty well. Then there is the product marketing team, which is, really thinking about how do we get the the products that we have developed and put it in the right light and the right messaging to our customers. And so those that's the, the other team. And there is an overall sort of like brand team that really thinks about like, what is, what is the Coursera brand and how that's being put in front of our learners and customers. So those are generally like the, the big pieces within the marketing team. Mm-hmm. And then do you, do you guys all have, kind of individual metrics that you're that you're trying to drive there and is there kind of a broader unifying metric that you're all working toward how how does how does that piece work right so we are uh, we are a very like okr and metric driven company which is where we set uh, the o- uh, metrics for the year on the, these are the big things that we want to we want to achieve in the year so there would be like you know generally 3 to 4 metrics for the company for the full year and then those met- metrics would break down but generally if there is a product and marketing team that's working together on an initiative, then there would be a joint metric that they're working towards, right? And that joint metric actually creates such great alignment in terms of activities, day-to-day tactics, and how the teams come together because they're all accountable and uh, own that metric. So that drives a lot of organizational clarity. And I have seen the power of you know joint ownership, how quickly folks align because they all feel that they own it, they all feel accountable for it. And that just does wonder for how the teams operate and with the 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 the, the ferocity with which they go after it is is great. Finally, let's kind of wrap up with the with the growth gen engine in general. So um, you know for particularly for the enterprise product, I mean, and we've touched on it a bit already, like in terms of how how enterprises find out about it, but I, I, what I don't think I, I clearly like. How how does the lead gen on on the businesses that you're serving? Is it is it um, you know kind of direct outbound? Kind of are, are you, is your sales team going outbound? Do you do, is there a lot of lead gen that's happening that they're following up on warm leads or just sort of how does how do they kind of get into the pipeline in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, 
Coursera.org, we we have created an amazing SEO uh, uh, channel over the years. So if you go search for online learning, then Coursera shows up in top results. So we see a lot of traffic actually show up on Coursera.org homepage. And from there, we actually start, you know, start figuring out, you know, what's the learner's sort of interest level and what are the things that they want to do. So potentially a learner is a decision maker uh, at a company which is of a certain size. And based on that, we take them into a course of a business experience. And once they land on that, is that's when we actually start to understand like what is it that they want to want to do. So there is then that's how they found us. And from there they can do two things. They can either say that I want to learn more and they can, you know, sign up for a demo or a webinar um from from our team that's one way or the other one is they could go through a self-serve buying experience and buy licenses for their team which is called Coursera for teams and so if if they buy if they buy Coursera for teams then you know at some point you know someone uh will reach out to them to say like if they want to expand the relationship so that's one and but if they signed up for a demo then like an SDR or a salesperson will reach out to them get on the call and get on the phone with them give them a demo and then you know figure out like how do they want to proceed? Um, then there is the third version, which is, as I was mentioning earlier, uh, Global Skills Index. And we generate a lot of insightful information for just chief uh, HR officers or chief L&B officers to look at. So those reports, uh, studies would be downloadable and they'll be behind maybe a small uh, way for them to like provide us their contact information. And then we would you know, market, uh, do a like drip marketing campaign uh, with them. Mm-hmm. And, and since you have... Um... So you have kind of a direct to consumer part as well. Do you ever find that when when a, a corporate is looking at uh, a potentially you know bringing in a, a more more of a company level solution that you already have people in that enterprise that are using um, Coursera and and does that help in moving the sale forward so that they that that they can actually connect with them and say is it an effective learning platform or or, or is it usually pretty separate on the direct-to-consumer part of the business versus enterprise? Well, that's a great point. Actually, that's how the enterprise business came about because we started seeing so many people, this is five years back, we started seeing that there were so many learners who were using their corporate accounts, email addresses, and we were like, there are so many people who are learning from this particular company. And so there must be interest within the company to actually use Coursera broadly for more employees. So we do tend tend to look at that information, yes. Excellent. And do you know if like the, if some of them were already using some of the educational allowances f- for it and or or was it usually out of pocket when when they were signing up with their corporate email? Um, that one, I, I'm not sure like, because we don't collect that information. There's no way for them to provide us that information. But anecdotally, we've heard with when we you know, speak with some companies that they have done that and now they're looking to consolidate. Uh, to a central L&D budget and where the employees will not, not have to like pay it out of pocket and get reimbursement, the company will directly just pay for a license for them. Very cool. I mean, the reason I go down that line of questioning is it sounds so much like what you see at, at Dropbox and some of the, the, the companies that even logged mm-hmm. me in, some of the companies I've been involved with in the past where there's that individual use case and then and then there's the, the, there's the kind of company level uh, sale that can come off of that. And it's, it seems to be a dynamic that um, makes it a lot easier to close the company deals when you already have a lot of people Absolutely, internally, yeah. especially like on, on products where there's security kind of issues, being able to manage those instances can be a big deal. But I, I think here, just 
being able to kind of vouch for the educational approach, it seems like that could be uh, pretty, pretty helpful for you. And then how about referrals? Do you, do you see many referrals in the business? I mean, we do see we do see referrals uh, and reference customers, and they have been a great way to increase trust of new prospects who are like really looking to uh, buy and deploy the products. There are some verticals where uh, we've gained sort of an outsized uh, impact and presence because you know that's where we've been going, um, and so it has happened um, at different points. But if you were asking like on the product side, if we've done something specific for referrals, we have yeah, not. I don't, I don't necessarily mean like tracked referrals, but more yeah. like, you know, NPS kind of like people who love the product telling other people they come in, this is a great way to learn. And, and uh, you know, or people who have it on a company level telling other companies, like I, just, just more of the organic word of mouth stuff. Is that, is that a, a fairly important driver of growth in the business? It, it is. I mean, it is because uh, it's, uh, again, like the community of the, the chief L&D officers is fairly small and they, they all talk to each other. So once we are in a certain country, in a certain vertical, uh, that's become sort of an outsized way of us getting more and more awareness in the same area. So it does it does help. It doesn't sort of scale everywhere equally, but it does help in certain areas for sure. Excellent. Well, that's great. I mean, so um, you know, when I look at the business, it's, it's interesting because I've, I've kind of taken dabbles in the education space a long time myself. I, uh, at, you know, after, after Dropbox and Eventbrite and, and some of my earlier successes, I started thinking, how can I, how can I kind of take these growth skills and, and put them towards something I can feel really good about? And so I, I actually worked with a couple of education companies uh, in you know, probably over, over 10 years ago now. And, um, I found that the space was actually really hard. So congratulations on on getting to to where you are. You know, where, where afterwards I was kind of like, okay, just you know, for reminding myself, make sure that you have you're working with companies with really strong product market fit, and then it then it comes down a lot more to the execution of how do you acquire a lot more of the customers who really need these products, and um, you know, if I could give back to education or whatever, actually. And then I then I also recently had an initiative of of kind of education where I'm helping uh, helping students connect with mentors through something called the OnlineCareerFair.org, um, especially underserved students. And so it's a kind of a different type of education, but it's sort of like how how do you take that academic education that you're having and and get some real world sort of uh, connections so that you can you can see how, how is that applied in the real world and you know something especially kind of the um, underrepresented groups that may not have uh, you know might be first generation uh, university students that that don't have parents that can kind of show them the rope or family connections that, that that's been an initiative that I felt really good about and then even even very recently came out with a growth simulation program for for learning growth through through uh, kind of just executing through a story that that can take upwards of you know five or six months to complete but you're running queries on live data and you're kind of learning growth through that and so I think that's that's a very different learning approach but I, I do think that there's a lot of room for innovation in learning and how you describe that it's not just a static video for 30 minutes but all the things that you've done I think that's a, that's a big part of kind of getting getting that online education experience right so 
I, my main point with all of this is that I'm, I'm passionate about this space. And I also know that this is a challenging space. And, um, and so I have a ton of respect for you and, and your team and what you've done, because it's, uh, it, it's, it's a hard space, but you've clearly had a lot of success there. So congratulations on that. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see where you take it from here. But um, one final question that I like to end with is what do, what do you feel like you understand about growth today that you may not have understood um, even a couple of years ago? Well, uh, I'd say, uh, well, firstly, thank you for the kind words. Yes, it has been it has been a long and arduous journey, but I think we started to see, uh, you know, uh, Coursera uh, see more success. So uh, thank you for that. Um, I think for growth, I think uh, what I've learned is, is growth is hard and sustainable growth is even harder. And generally, as your company uh, and your uh, revenue kind of grows big, uh, it becomes even harder to find like bigger and bigger growth opportunities. So I, I, I respect companies that actually grow well and continue to grow well over the years. Um, and the second thing I've realized is one gr- great growth driver that you see, you look at companies that are growing really well and you're like, oh, they're having growth it's, uh, so easily, is generally a result of multiple, multiple failed attempts at growth. And the key is to just be persistent, persistent, be learn and get better and just repeat and just keep at it and keep, continue to make sure that you are learning with every failed attempt and that will make sure that you actually get there when you get there. Um, and the third one I'd say is that growth can come both from large movements in sort of seeing growth, but you should never discount the value of small improvements that add up over the years. And both of them are equally valuable. I think some teams I've seen uh, sort of invest heavily on one end versus the other, but I think every team should have a portfolio of bets that they're making, some very large bets, but also a constant sort of flood of like small bets that will continue to pay up and that will continue to increase, you know, the growth in the company. I think both are very valuable. Absolutely. Now that's, that's great. And yeah, and I, I'm, I, I think, uh, all of us are continuing to 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 learn more about growth all the time. So um, being able to get your perspective, uh, particularly from the from the product and and more enterprise focused uh, end of your product, um, is 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 a fairly new perspective on on the Breakout Growth Podcast. So I'm I'm excited that you shared that with us and uh, really impressed, as I said, with the with the success that you guys have had to date, and excited to see where you take it from here. So. Um, Thank you very much for that. And to everyone listening, thanks for tuning in. And thanks, Sean. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, subscribe so you never miss a show. Until next week.